back. Back here of the Syllabus Journal. We're doing another entry. We're tired, we're working hard, we're working lots of hours. We're staying busy. Kids are staying busy with sports. We have lots of stuff going on. And we just gotta um, get back and touch, touch base here. Get back to basics. So it's time, we need to talk here. Another important discussion. I'm never gonna give up on this American dream. This independence, this declaration of independence, this liberty, this is the hill we die on. So stay with me here, let's, let's be unafraid to think freely to contemplate those things that we're not allowed to. The media tries to suppress our thought and our ability to speak, talk to each other, intercommunicate as a society. We can't seem to even reach out past these masks and all these distancing rules, these COVID regulations to talk and touch base and get back together as a community, as a, as a society, as an organized American people. We need to fight for that, for our future. Back again, syllabus journal entry number three or four. I think we're we're starting to just kind of work in this journal kind of report here to kind of keep up with the news. And we have to keep reminding you that the question of the legitimacy of the Biden presidency is not going to be something that's just going to get swept under the rug at this point. And I mean, you have to admit that he went through the, the process, the constitutional process, and Vice President Pence didn't do anything to call into question the ballots and the whole senatorial review process, and so he was sworn in, and so he stands in the position, technically, as the President of the United States. But the truth of the matter is, is that there was massive fraud, and the question of how even though it's taking weeks and months to sort out later, and they were able to run it through the process really quickly and sandbag for eight weeks and use all their powers of persuasion in Hollywood and in Silicon Valley and the press and in other ways. And of course, the social media blogosphere, the internet just shut anyone down who didn't want to go with the program. And so there was no questioning. There was no ability to have a rational inquiry about why China servers were really just kind of working hard on overtime to hack into our election process there with the Dominion voting systems. And of course, Dominion is trying to sue anyone that discusses the, the, the question of the legitimacy of their of their process with their machines. But of course, we can't go and look and take a, a forensic analysis, a forensic, a forensic look at the machine itself. We just have to take their word for it and face their you know, million-dollar attorneys and million-dollar court suits and lawsuits that uh, you have to have deep pockets in order to try to prove and bear out the truth. 
so it's clear from the way that the, the actual entire bureaucracy of the, the entire media and then press in this in this country being led by social media tech giants it's clear that they don't want to discuss election irregularities or election interference or voter fraud or they don't want to discuss any of these topics anymore they just want it to go away you can see that there's a completed combination of phalanx like a ubiquitous network of influence and it goes from john roberts to the supreme court all the way throughout the government all the way across the country new york chicago los angeles and these, these elite, wealthy, neo-authoritarians are interested only in making sure that they can consolidate all their power, their ability to control what Americans can read on their smartphones and, and, and press, and just the information flow, the ability. You could see that they were scrambling over the last few months to just play whack-a-mole and squash any stories that were popping up that they needed to control in order to influence public opinion, to make sure no one found out about Hunter Biden's laptop, to make sure just the continuous ongoing effort at manipulation. And they're really kind of feeling out this, this new power. These new oligarchs are interested only in making sure that they can control and define what is speech and what is free speech and what is harmful speech. And so they're not only just going to use little banners that they pop down over your, your tweets and over your, your uh, messages and posts, but they're going to eventually just be able to determine what's acceptable speech in the society, in classrooms, in your library, in the, the civil society. And um, this will control what families can talk about at Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, what it, it just, it really twists American society and, and the people into these kind of weird political monsters where they have to, in order to maintain the, the cognitive sanity in the effort to remain intellectually consistent, they have to twist themselves into this pretzel and to just go along with all these weird new transgender definitions. People who used to be liberals and like the New York Times now have to side with uh, boys joining girls softball teams and taking their scholarships and just, just the weird and, and profound intricacies of this whole political tangent that America is on. It leads to one thing leads to another and people just end up far different than than they ever were and uh, these are the instruments of reason and philosophical meaning that people seem to just these tools they just turn them over into the hands of people like aoc who are screaming across the platforms where everyone else gets censored and shaping the minds of young girls who apparently there's an outbreak of young girls in the classroom when they're not psychological downfall and committing high levels of suicide because of this covid they are apparently an outbreak of young women teenage girls in this country have decided that they want to turn into boys and take hormones like the body mind altering and body changing hormone steroids to turn themselves into a different gender and, and these are all ideas that their teachers and their, their principals the the guidance counselors the the influencers the art teacher the people in their lives who aoc people who give them an understanding and the shape of the world coming across twitter and coming across the new york times giving it this patina of seriousness that the the young people out there are just being decimated by this culture war and i think parents are fighting desperately to make sure that they can salvage some of their child and uh their innocence i mean the internet is filled with pornography i think more than half of the internet is pornography and you know these young people with these powerful phones everyone has to have a phone they walk around they bump into walls looking in their phones and it's no surprise that you know people are 
being debased, they're, they're emotionally, the ability to sexualize normally. On every level, the left is debasing and debauching our country. You have to protect your children right now. So in this particular report, this journal entry here, we're going to talk about something that is, of course, like we often do, is taboo. You're not allowed to talk about it. Cannot discuss election fraud. So that's what we're going to do. We need to talk about the roots of this election fraud and really where it came down. And, and you know, I love it because it gets into this this crazy land of uh, the lawsuit, the billion-dollar lawsuit with Sidney Powell. And I think Mike Lindell is dealing with that now. The last I heard, I'm sure we'll hear updates soon, but the last I heard is that uh, he is hasn't been served yet, but they're, they're saying they're going to sue Mike Lindell. And so as all, as everyone begins to, to be frozen over by stifled by this, this huge, this monumental censorship, we can see that there's a huge international cohort of phalanx of operators, obviously very wealthy. Obviously they're with Obama. Obviously they're with China. They're with Hunter Biden's laptop and all the pictures that are on there. They're with that. They do. That's what they do. They made sure they shut old uh, Jeffrey Epstein up. Nobody ever will talk about that again. She's a Maxwell. Whatever happened with her? What about all the, the young girls and children that she sexualized and uh, trained to be sexual objects so that men could fly in from around the world? And and abuse them. Nobody wants to talk about it. People are too scared. People are just way too cowardly to be able to do what it takes to be to to you know to be. They want to be in America like a marshmallow America that just where everything is taken care of for them. Their rights are protected for them, but they don't. I don't think you guys. I don't think you guys want to go and do what it takes to to you know defend our freedoms. And I think we need to take a look at the fact that on many levels, the unified effort to have a sustained attack. On the American people. I mean, even Donald Trump right now is looking at different um, prosecutors in Georgia and New York. They're trying to find a way to put him and his family in prison any way they can. So you're going to have this continuous onslaught of the left and the mechanisms of power that they control within the courts, within, you know, on every level, within the teachers' unions, within, you know, and every single foothold where they can try to control an outcome. You can, you'll we'll see more lawsuits coming up with police departments and fire departments and the military where people who are claiming to be transgender in prison decide they, they, they're in prison for life. They decide they want to change their gender and now they expect the American taxpayer to just pay for that so they can feel more comfortable in their prison cell. Just, just the bizarre, unreasonable insanity and madness of the left. It really has a method behind the madness because ultimately it serves the purpose of the Chinese Communist Party and and the bad actors, the malignant actors in Russia who want to harm us. And uh, on every level, on and we can really perceive right now, they even the, in academia, these kind of like pseudo-philosophical concepts coming out of out of um, this these fake academic environments where people are looking to have reparations and to have there's all these issues that people are fanning up the flames of racial identity politics and trying to create conflict between people who are at, there's absolutely no conflict that, that exists between the American people but they're trying to find you know people look different they have different skin colors you know different complexions different levels of melanin in their skin based on their their ancient ancestry of where their people migrated from and they're just trying to polarize and tribalize and vulcanize and break down the American people into this kind of uh, inner infighting and so internecine social conflict and that's what we're going to see more and more of I think
think as we go forward, I think that's the plan of the left is everyone has to have a grievance. Everyone has to be pissed off at someone else about something. And, you know, and, and so on every level, they're going to try to vaporize and break down the American body politic into an unworkable, uh, dysfunctional victim groups. So as we're moving forward, I want to take a look at this whole idea of election fraud. I think the idea it's obvious now is coming to fruition, something Gordon Chang knew quite a while ago and discussed on American Thought Leaders. But we're going to discuss it just a little bit here and just hear from Gordon Chang. But the whole point is, is that he and other people who have who have even just a modicum of intellectual honesty pointed out that China was really behind this election fraud. And obviously, so is Facebook and Twitter. So is the entire construct of elite leftist cabal in this country. They were obviously working with George Soros, who said that the Trump administration would disappear. And, and you know, the whole thing, you know, John Roberts just failing to even look at the whole thing and just letting American democracy die in darkness, if you will. And the whole idea of it, the, in Congress, uh, Mike Pence was a complete joke. I mean, no one will ever hear from him again. What's his name? Pence. Nobody knows. Nobody can remember. He, he just, he looked, you know, that's how politicians are. They shine. He had these great speeches about sticking up for the people and defending against voter irregularities. And he said all these wonderful things. And when it came down to it, he just, he just melted like butter in the frying pan. He was a weak and cowardly man. And he couldn't make up his mind whether he was a Protestant or a Catholic. He was kind of like in between, you know. He was a he was a Baptist Catholic or something, you know. He just he was just a weirdo. His face was too shiny. The fly landed on his hair for like ten minutes. It was weird. He was a weirdo. So good, you know, good rinse him. I hope that if Trump comes back and runs again, that will be fascinating to watch. Maybe Mike Pompeo will run with him. I think that'd be more powerful of a team. And you could see that um, Trump was the man who kicked the hornet's nest. He was the man who he was the man with the dragon tattoo or whatever. He, he was the guy who really just set this all in motion. We're not going to be able to go back. And people they have all these strange opinions about Q, and no one really knows. It was obviously like an influence operation, a manipulation game on whatever level had multiple purposes. That's why we said that it was a limited hangout, an intelligence operation, a psychological operation. And also, we have to point out that there was multiple computer and cyber incursions that were happening at the time. We were we were basically under a huge cyber assault that night when the election happened. And the whole issue with the military is still surrounding the Capitol, so we're under some kind of quasi-martial law where apparently they don't have OS any kind of explanation. And obviously, it was started and enacted under Trump just, just right before he left, and it continues under Biden. So there's something in the background of this whole agenda here that seems to be operating outside the, the, the purview or the authority of the President of the United States. Everyone thinks that the President has ubiquitous power but it's obvious that ultimately if you look at Trump that he didn't have a lot of power. He told people to go out and do things and they left and they didn't go do it. And he commanded the, the military to do these things and he had these executive orders which are now being rescinded and apparently nobody took action on them and nobody's going to... He had an executive order to defend election integrity. Nothing happened. The election was blown out. We'll see as we go through this episode that there was a lot of people watching and, and apparent intelligence agencies watching the election fraud happen, but they didn't have any ability to do anything because there is a, a, a Chinese-led cabal, you know, even the reports that the CCP has a Chinese agent in, in every U.S. embassy and all over the US, United States government. You have the weird Chinese fellow that follows Biden around. And so these are the questions about how much has a, a Chinese hegemony now penetrated into the American sovereignty and begin to, in a 
quiet, stealthy way take over our country and begin to use the policies of regression and stagnation to bring America down in a, in a slow crash landing. But let's listen to you. I have American thought leaders set up here. Let's listen to what Gordon Chang has to say about this whole issue. But for starters, a lot of Americans are actually deeply concerned that the Chinese Communist Party has had an impact on this election. I want to give you a chance to speak to that. Well, China certainly wanted to influence the outcome of the election. So, for instance, um, during the Democratic Party um, nomination process, they supported Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders. And during the general election, I think that they were trying to unseat President Trump. So, for instance, there was a massive disinformation campaign conducted especially by the Chinese Foreign Ministry, which is official, and the Global Times, which is the Communist Party tabloid. Also, um, there were the troll and bot farm operations, which were actually quite massive. Um, for instance, there was the Spamiflage uh, Dragon Network, um, which attacked the president on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. And we know that Twitter um, took down 174,000 fake Chinese accounts in June alone. So they really went after um, the Republican candidate. Um, also, there's, there's something else which I think had an effect although it was, may not have been directly election-related. Um, uh, Radio Free Asia reports that uh, the Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army, actually based an intelligence unit in the then-open Houston consulate. From there, they used artificial intelligence and big data to identify Americans likely to participate in Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests. And then they sent them videos through TikTok on how to riot. So this went beyond subversion. This was actually an act of war. And because it caused turmoil, it had an effect on the election. Uh, as I said, it wasn't directly related to um, it, Beijing's favored candidate. But nonetheless, I think that it did ultimately have an effect. So Beijing um, believed it really did have a candidate in this race and worked very hard to unseat President Trump. So it sounds like, you know, there's actually has been debate about this, uh, that uh, Beijing was actually interested in a Joe Biden presidency. Why do you think that is? There are a lot of reasons. Um, and I think one of them is that uh, basically Chinese officials found President Trump to be unpredictable. Now, China, we know, they can deal with American presidents who have a skeptical attitudes towards the Communist Party, but they like predictability. And that certainly was lacking in the Trump administration. Also, of course, President Trump, he ditched five decades of engagement policy. And his general approach was to impose costs on China for unacceptable conduct. So um, Beijing did suffer, especially during the last couple of years of the Trump presidency. And there's one other factor, uh, Jan, and that is every president gives China a grace period when they take office. President Trump did it. President Trump's grace period to China, a big wet kiss, was actually more than a year. You know, we remember those images from Mar-a-Lago um, in April 2017, but that actually continued for quite some time. I think the Chinese are banking on getting another grace period from Joe Biden. And, and this would be true regardless of what Biden said and felt about China. They were counting on a period where a new president tries to establish cooperative relations with Beijing. Unfortunately, right now, given the nature of the um, struggle that we're in, 
I don't think we have a moment to lose. And so this is going to be a factor. And it's up to the American people to make sure that that grace period is as short as possible. I think Beijing might actually help in this regard because they'll probably push um, the Biden administration, uh, try to test him. But in any event, um, we've got to make sure that we continue the defense of the American Republic from China's malicious attacks. Gordon, you mentioned the struggle that we're in. Can you just expand on that a little bit, please? Well, I believe the struggle is existential. Um, we'll start from a most fundamental point, and that is, you know, people say that the United States and China are just involved in one of history's many boys will be boys contests for dominance. Um, I don't see it that way at all, because um, we're not trying just to protect our position in the international system. We're trying to protect that international system itself, the system that was first put in place in 1648 with the Treaty of Westphalia, recognizes the sovereignty of states. Um, China's leader, Xi Jinping, has been talking for more than decades, um, dropping hints that he believes that the world should adopt uh, imperial-era notions of Chinese rule, where Chinese emperors believed that they had the mandate of heaven over what they called Tianxia, or all under heaven. And recently, Xi Jinping's uh, references have become unmistakable. So, for instance, in his 2017 New Year's message, he actually uses that phrase, there should be harmony all under heaven. Uh, and if that weren't enough, his foreign minister, Wang Yi, in September 2017, actually wrote an article in Study Times, which is the Central Party School's influential publication. And in that article, Wang Yi, the foreign minister, wrote that Xi Jinping thought and as you know, a, a thought in Communist Party lingo is an important ideological body of work. It's actually unassailable truth. Wang Yi wrote that Xi Jinping thought on diplomacy, made innovations on and transcended Western international relations thinking of the last 300 years. So you take 2017, you subtract 300 years, you almost get to 1648. So when Wang Yi says that Xi Jinping has transcended that system, He's saying that there shouldn't be sovereign states, or at least no more of them than China. And actually, China's been acting like it is the only legitimate state in the world. The attacks on the U.S. have been malicious. Um, you know, we see, for instance, their um, theft of U.S. intellectual property, somewhere between 125, 150 billion to maybe as much as 600 billion dollars a year. Um, they took steps in December and January to make sure that the coronavirus escaped China's borders, infecting the world. This is an attack. Actually, this is the first attack in history where one nation has gone after all the others. Um, you know, China has made it very clear that the United States shouldn't be in Asia. We just go on and on and on. This attack and this is just unrelenting. It's across the board. And it's a challenge that we have no choice but to meet. You know, Gordon, you were talking about, uh, you know, thinkers here. There's, uh, There's been this video that's been cursing around of the Chinese sociologist Dr. Li Yi, you know, and he has some incredible claims. I know you've, you must have seen this. He's saying, we are driving America to its death. COVID-19 has been beneficial to China, North Korea. There will be no U.S.-China war, but we will take over Taiwan. These are the kinds of things he's saying. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it just is not official, of course, but it is um, a 
sort of example of the hostility that many in the Chinese elite feel towards the United States and in general towards everybody else. So um, it's an indication of what people feel. You know, we've had a number of statements from senior Chinese military uh, officers, you know, admirals, generals, talking in, in with glee and relish about killing tens of thousands of Americans. So this is something which um, we've got to be concerned that you got an officer class which is um, dedicated to um, going after the United States and, and killing us. Um, so. Um, you know, I don't know what to say, except that um, we Americans are very good at not listening to what our enemies say about us. Well, we have to keep in mind that this really interesting interview with Gordon Chang on American Thought Leaders took place December 5th, 2020. So that, that was weeks and weeks ago. And it was obvious even from the kind of the very beginning there and this whole process of this demoralization that we're experiencing in America, it became clear even to someone like Gordon Chang or to people who were sober minded or who are not asleep at the switch or, you know, unaware of what uh, China was is capable of and what they had been waiting in the wings to jump out and do at any, at, you know, any given moment. And that's what happened. So the interference that took place coming from the CCP and coming from China and, and really coming from within the United States in, in different ways. I mean, I think that they had hundreds or maybe even thousands of computer cyber hacks happening all at the same time during that night. So let's discuss this whole issue in different terms. I mean, we're, we're talking about the inability for the American body politic, for our mass conscious mind to really grasp what's happening uh, because on, on so many levels our media has betrayed us our politicians our leaders have betrayed us and really haven't enacted these kind of policies which are stifling the American people which are really pro-CCP policies these are the kind of policies that the Chinese Communist Party want to see enacted in America in order to really begin to bring down in a concentrated effort a process of managed decline so it's a, it's a managed decline of the American military and economic strength and the actual populace because you have to remember the, the power of the people is in the ballot is really the strength of the country so when they begin to undermine that and erode that the whole process it, it's through psychological war because these kind of psyops are ultimately going to make people ask the question why do I even bother voting it doesn't even count and so it, it's an insidious process of corrupting and eroding and breaking down the, the strength of the American people so we have to fight against that stay band together as Americans and stay patriotic and understand what's the, it's not just the phalanx of leftists communists and neo-Marxists in, in America who are working to bring us down but we they're waiting just outside the the boundaries is the is the the, the coalition of our enemies of Russia and China and other and probably the European U Union also. So as we're moving forward in time, the, the whole process of having a huge rigged election really can't be hidden. And the influence of Chinese servers as they were working uh, in their cyber attack to manipulate these Dominion voting machines, ultimately they can do a lot. They can they can sue Mike Lindell, they can control the headlines at the New York Times, they can do a lot to try to keep the information submerged below the, the level of consciousness, but ultimately they will not be able to entirely eradicate the information and people will share it and people will be 
blocked and people will be censored and banned. And this whole process of trying to get people to the point where they're being disappeared off of social media and off of Google and just disappeared from YouTube and just disappeared from the, the internet itself is a process of, of really beginning to persecute and ultimately really it's really the testing out of a system to disappear people in real life so it's really a threat ultimately that kind of power will be used to make people go into a deep hole in the woods and that's really what happened this is what happened with Stalin and with the Nazis ultimately these powers of media and social influence and this technocracy and the ability for it to influence politics and really band up with America's enemies and create this outcome a carefully curated outcome of an election process. So th this whole, we must really just work to identify the corruption that's at the heart of this. And even if it's you know difficult, and, and even if it's something that we really can't manage ourselves, and that, that's really the fight of American liberty itself, even when George Washington had to fight the British. It must have been absolutely daunting, and it must have been terribly formidable uh, enemy to behold, and ultimately they were clinging to their, their guns and their Bibles, and they were positioning their cannons, and they were just willing to die to create this tiny window in history and in time of the American Republic, this this world of freedom, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where constitutional law protects individual rights, and, and this is something that is quickly fading away. Even now, as I look at the headlines, there's a, a governor, Nevada governor proposes giving big tech firms power to govern. So this is where we're moving towards. This is exactly what the Chinese Communist Party wants, and it's this totalitarian state, and obviously Google and Facebook and Twitter and these tech Silicon Valley companies have been getting um, some homework done and getting some groundwork laid and on their ability to control people using their internet tricks and, and their devices and they've been practicing in China and the, the, the people of China the Uyghur populace I mean the, the people in China have been suffering under this kind of totalitarian control that the Silicon Valley techs are able to produce for the, the Chinese regime. So in order to really look deeper at this, we need to understand here really what's at stake. So I'm gonna play, an this is basically an excerpt from The Aftermath by Patrick Byrne. So we're just gonna take a listen to it, it's being read, and we'll take a listen to a few excerpts, and it, it really brings into focus here the, the difficulty and the dilemma that we're going to be facing. And as we, as American people, are fighting politically against each other, we're going to have this encirclement policy that's going to ultimately begin to cut us off from energy and cut us off from economics, and from the global, from globalism itself. And uh, I think China is already weaponizing the United, the United Nations against us. So let's take a listen to this excerpt from The Aftermath. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. James Stockdale Our founding fathers designed a constitutional process for selecting our president. I recognize that the constitutional process ran its course and selected Joe Biden as president. So Biden is president. Federalist Paper 68, Hamilton, argued that one thing our process had to recommend it was that it would filter out certain types of politicians and select for others, one wonders which describes Biden. Talents for low intrigue and the little arts of popularity may alone suffice to elevate a man to the first honors in a single state, but it will require other talents and a different kind of merit to establish him in the esteem and confidence of the whole union 
or of so considerable a portion of it, as would be necessary to make him a successful candidate for the distinguished office of President of the United States. The drafters also anticipated state-level corruption might disrupt a national election. It was also peculiarly desirable to afford as little opportunity as possible to tumult and disorder, but the precautions which have been so happily concerted in the system under consideration promise an effectual security against this mischief. The choice of several to form an intermediate body of electors will be much less apt to convulse the community with any extraordinary or violent movements than the choice of one who was himself to be the final object of the public wishes. And as the electors chosen in each state are to assemble and vote in the state in which they are chosen, this detached and divided situation will expose them much less to heats and ferments which might be communicated from them to the people than if they were all to be convened at one time in one place. By bifurcating the choice into, on the one hand, an immediate body of electors, and, on the other hand, a Senate to examine and formally accept the votes of the Electoral College, another thing was accomplished. Elections made to generate into debate about corruption, but at the end of the day, for an office such as president, there needs to be a mechanism to guarantee that a selection is made. The system created by our Constitution, whereby electors are chosen and sent to an electoral college to cast their votes, then at a later point, the U.S. Senate, by recognizing and counting electoral votes, accepts that decision, accomplishes that. No matter what goes on at the state level, no matter how corrupt the events, there is a U.S. Senate to look at the facts and, by accepting electoral votes, certify the decision. That bifurcation guarantees that disputes about election integrity cannot swamp the overriding constraint that, by some date, a victor must be established. This constitutional process decides the presidency. On January 6 through 7, that process ran its course and selected Joe Biden. So Biden is our president. Thomas Sowell has pointed out that the right normally sees fairness as an attribute of processes, while the left sees it as an attribute of outcomes. For example, imagine a fire department sets up a system for testing and ranking applicants, and the test measures physical and mental abilities related to the job duties, then spits out a ranking of candidates. In the eyes of someone who sees fairness as an attribute of process, if the testing made no reference to race and purely measured abilities related to the job duties, then whatever that ranking is, it is by definition fair. The process was fair, so the outcome is fair. But in the eyes of the left, if the outcome has to differential a mix of whites and blacks, it is unfair. That is why, says Sowell, the two sides argue and never get anywhere. They can argue about fairness until the cows come home. But underneath that one word, they are arguing about two different things. One is talking about a process. One is talking about an outcome. So we are experiencing a rare moment where left and right have switched sides philosophically. The left is saying... The process ran its course. Biden was selected in that Senate process, so he is now the legitimate president. Others are saying, yes, but that outcome occurred only because of unprecedented election irregularities, which created an enormous and complex election fraud, which survived because the shot clock expired on January 6th through 7, leading to a perverse outcome that is unfair and does not reflect the will of the people. Both are holding, in a sense, just the opposite view about fairness that they normally do. If nothing else, I seek to be intellectually consistent, and I think that justice and fairness are attributes of processes. The process mandated in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, ran its course, 
The Senate looked at the facts, as much as they wished to anyway. They voted, and so the outcome they generated is the outcome. Knowledge that, I turned to the world of sports for semiotics. In 2007, Barry Bonds hit home run 762, the final home run of his professional career, surpassing Hank Aaron's record of 755, which had stood since 1974. However, because for much of his professional career, Bonds turned out to have been using performance-enhancing steroids, Balco Labs, the clear, so named because it was not detectable in urine samples until it was, Bonds' achievement is noted with an asterisk, often printed in red. In the National Baseball Hall of Fame, to which Bonds has still not been elected, Bonds' record-breaking 756th homer is displayed with an asterisk. Ten years later, Sports Illustrated wrote a story on the asterisk. Ten years after 756, a reminder of what Barry Bonds' record really means. Lance Armstrong won six Tour de France bicycle races. Yet it turned out that he did so with the assistance of performance-enhancing drugs. So, as the New York Times wrote in 2012, his record will forever be marred. Armstrong, best of his time, now with an asterisk. I am going to adopt the same typographical convention for President, asterisk, Biden. Referring to him as President, asterisk, Biden, accomplishes two things. It recognizes that he did, in fact, become president through the constitutional process. It also recognizes that irregularities, such as have been described in this story, marred that achievement. But other than that warning, and one that slight dizziness might occur when one first took it, HCQ was described to us as being quite benign. I stayed a year in China, then went and lived in the north of Thailand for five months. In dusty one-shot villages, I would see on store shelves one bottle containing aspirin, one bottle containing hydroxychloroquine, both sold by the pill for five cents. When one had malarial symptoms, one bought a handful of hydroxychloroquine pills and treated oneself. Just as if one had a toothache, one bought a handful of aspirin and treated oneself. Hydroxychloroquine was sold to kids with no more thought than one would give selling a few pills of aspirin to a ten-year-old with a toothache. Thus, when last spring doctors started reporting favorable results with early treatment of COVID-19 using hydroxychloroquine, it was with some surprise that I saw the mainstream media go apoplectic about this suddenly dangerous HCQ. Talking heads on mainstream media discussed whether or not, in extremis, they would take hydroxychloroquine, as though they were discussing taking a radical new form of chemotherapy in the event they had cancer. Governors got in on the act creating special orders, making it impossible for doctors to provide HCQ for off-label use to their COVID-19 patients. A rare moment that the government ruptured the doctor-patient privacy within such decisions are normally made. It reached such a fervor that Jim Acosta, CNN, attacked the president for including in a White House gathering of COVID-19 survivors, some who had survived by way of HCQ, as though that put them beyond the pale. In time, some hostility to HCQ abated when it was learned that the study upon which WHO had made its decision had used fake data. Busted, WHO and global governments used fake data from a suspicious company that employs a sci-fi writer and adult content model to discredit and stop hydroxychloroquine studies. June 2020. Yet the HCQ hysteria continued to simmer over the course of summer 2020. The Israeli newspaper Arutz Sheva noted, Media hostility to hydroxychloroquine fuels hysteria about supposed dangers, July 9, 2020. 
Hydroxy is being discounted too soon, say scientists who believe the malaria drug could save thousands of lives by preventing COVID-19, August 2020. Michigan Hospital tries to treat patients with hydroxychloroquine. FDA refuses to allow it. Western Journal, August 2020. By September 2020, antagonism to HCQ had come to seem foolish not just in the alternative press, but to non-obsessed mass media. Example, the jury is in on hydroxychloroquine, it saves lives, Rowan Dean. Now the point is no longer in serious dispute. See, HCQ is effective for COVID-19 when used early, real-time meta-analysis of 201 studies. The hysteria over HCQ costs countless lives, and thwarted the ability of doctors to use HCQ to snuff out the pandemic early on. Ivermectin. Since 1981, ivermectin has been used as a frontline treatment for parasites, lice, scabies, ringworm, etc., around the world. In fact, it is included in the World Health Organization's list of 40 essential medicines, 2019. Yet this benign and standard-issue drug went through the same process of demonization by the mainstream media as did HCQ. Eventually, in the face of enough data regarding its efficacy having reached the public, the NIH softened its stance against Evermectin. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons put out a statement welcoming that change. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, notes that there are now 49 Ivermectin studies summarized on c19study.com, 100% of which show favorable results from the report. Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, applauds NIH revised stance on ivermectin for COVID-19. From Australia to South Africa, doctors reported rapid improvements in COVID-19 patients from this cheap and readily available drug. Yet ivermectin was another drug from which our betters protected us for months of this pandemic. Rather than using these safe and dirt-cheap drugs to address early onset of symptoms, which would have done more to flatten the curve, than all the press conferences we saw. Lockdowns. The left has pushed for the most extreme lockdowns, while President Trump pushed for something more limited. Sweden, operating from a perspective that was science-based rather than hysteria-based or politically-based, instituted a more limited lockdown than anything contemplated in the USA. Their model was to quarantine the vulnerable, yet have the rest of society continue with their lives with modest social distancing thus pursuing herd immunity and the least disruption to the economy and civil liberties of the citizens. In other words, the Swedish approach was significantly more Trump than Trump, and the precise opposite of the lockdown-mad approach demanded by most of the rest of Europe and the left in America. Sweden's strategy turned out to be the wisest. The second wave they experienced was not larger than the first. Sweden avoided turning into a police state, and now COVID-19 deaths have tapered to zero, all graphs and data from World Health Organization website. Meanwhile, most of Europe and the industrialized world is experiencing a second wave more intense than the first, and deaths have most certainly not tapered to zero. For example, here are COVID-19 deaths in lockdown-mad Germany, France, and the UK over the last year. Please note the scale dissimilarities on the right. While Sweden has tapered to zero deaths, Germany, France, and the UK are still experiencing daily deaths in the many hundreds and even over 1,000. The start of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
the people who were maintaining positions thought wacky a year ago have turned out to be right about other things besides hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. For example, a year ago, no conspiracy theory was more reviled than one that held this disease started in a government laboratory in Wuhan. Yet, by the beginning of 2021, we were seeing articles such as Corrupt corporate media finally admits coronavirus probably came from a communist Chinese lab. The Federalist, January 5th, 2021. Citing an article appearing in mainstream New York Magazine. The Lab Leak Hypothesis, New York Magazine, January 4, 2021. On February 2, 2021, PBS ran a 90-minute documentary, China's COVID Secrets, maintaining that the COVID-19 pandemic began in a Chinese lab accident and the CCP engaged in a cover-up. On February 11, 2021, the Director General of World Health Organization did a U-turn on his previous dismissal of the possibility of COVID-19 originating in a Chinese lab, saying, Some questions have been raised as to whether some hypotheses have been discarded. I want to clarify that all hypotheses remain open and require further study. WHO Director General's opening remarks at the member states' briefing on COVID-19 11 February 2021. One year ago, nothing enraged the mass media more than people who espoused any form of this conspiracy theory. Now, PBS and New York Magazine, both establishment, are reporting it is true, and WHO has retracted its previous assertion it was untrue. Which raises a question. Why at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic was the establishment so intent on suppressing possibilities such as HCQ, ivermectin, and the possible origins of COVID in a Chinese government lab. It sure seems they went to extraordinary lengths to denormalize these ideas, which have since proven true. Does that seem odd? Summary on COVID-19. The discourse around this pandemic has been distorted by people seeking to weaponize it politically. As a result, the pandemic inflected more harm on the United States than it had to. The Swedish, science-based approach would have left us far better off as a country, with less harm to our economy and our civil liberties than the path we took. Coupled with the use of two cheap, safe drugs that have been in use for decades, this entire pandemic might have been snuffed out in its infancy. Yet, one group consistently fought any such measured discourse, insisting instead on a reaction marked by unscientific hysteria and, arguably, political calculation. As soon as Biden's inauguration was confirmed, some proponents of lockdown switched to a less hysterical position essentially immediately. For example, among the most extreme lockdown proponents in the USA have been Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot and New York City's Mayor Bill de Blasio. In Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot recently decided that a much less stringent approach would be best. Lightfoot says restaurants should reopen as quickly as possible. Patch, January 14, 2021. A similar pattern is unfolding in New York City. If it is hard to imagine any politician being so cynical as to push for a lockdown that has destroyed millions of lives and tens of thousands of businesses, 60% of which will not reopen, simply in order to achieve political advantage, then you don't understand the goon left. Above, I asked regarding COVID-19. But once in the open, does it seem like there are those who have sought to take advantage of it? Might it be possible that are those who wanted the pandemic to be worse than it needed to be? Make your own call. We now return to the Besmanov psyop I hypothesized may exist. 1. Demoralization of the country, COVID-19. 
2. Disorientation, Antifa and BLM. 3. Crisis. Election counting stops in six cities and six swing states, then a surprise. 4. Normalization. The media gaslights anyone who sees anything odd here. Regarding step number 2, disorientation, Antifa and BLM. One day this fall, I was walking in front of the J. Edgar Hoover building, FBI HQ, when goons came roaring up on motorcycles and ATVs and took over the street, stopping traffic. They did wheelies and donuts for several minutes, then they roared off. Again, this was on the street, in front of putatively the premier law enforcement agency in the world. The guards at the FBI building stood and watched. I understood the message. This is not the FBI you thought it was. This is not the USA you thought it was. That, in fact, has been the subtext of the big broadcast since June 2020. Regarding step number three, crisis, election counting stops in six cities and six swing states, then a surprise. I would call this election a crisis indeed, but I believe I have already covered this point thoroughly. Regarding step number four, normalization, the media gaslights anyone who sees anything odd here. In September, just four months ago, the possibility of a massive election fraud occurring in the USA was, as I demonstrated in the introduction, a proposition that enjoyed more support across the political spectrum than any other one I could find. Now the possibility has become inexpressible, even unthinkable, as far as our mainstream media is concerned. Even right-of-center Newsmax recently saw a host walk off its show, rather than participate in a conversation where the possibility was discussed. So why do things seem surreal? Perhaps because you are living through a PSYOP to take over our country, and reality as you know it is being engineered. That's the weak hypothesis. Why does everything seem surreal? The strong hypothesis. If the weak hypothesis is correct and we are living through a PSYOP, who is behind the PSYOP? Consider the possibility that China is behind the PSYOP. I am not the proverbial old China hand, but decades ago, I was once a young China hand. What follows is speculative, but worth considering. Since the Chinese publication in 1998 of Unrestricted Warfare, Two Air Force Senior Colonels on Scenarios for War and the Operational Art in an Era of Globalization by Chao Liang and Wang Xiangsui, it has been understood that hardline elements within the Chinese national security community have been envisioning and positioning themselves for war with the USA. The unrestricted part of unrestricted warfare is the part that avoids direct military confrontation and seeks instead to conquer through non-kinetic means. In 2015, Michael Pillsbury, a lifelong China dove, meaning an advocate of helping China modernize and prosper, wrote a book the 100-year marathon, where he reversed course. He had been wrong all his professional life, he said, as he now understood that China had embarked on a 1949-2049 to plan to turn the USA into a vassal state. In this book, he discussed a phrase circulating in Chinese national security literature, the assassin's mace it planned for the USA. The reference, Pillsbury knew, was to an old Chinese story from the Warring States period, and refers to, in essence, a sucker punch, one punch knockout. Is what we are experiencing right now China's assassin's mace? Nothing would be more of an assassin's mace than a scheme to take out the USA with a rigged election that could not be unscrambled through our court system by January 6, thus allowing the constitutional forces to go to work and let turn to cement what has been presented as a fait accompli.
I am raising this not merely as a theoretical possibility. My colleagues and I discovered ample evidence of Chinese involvement in these election shenanigans. Go through the narrative that precedes this, and note the mentions. Their money shows up in the firms supplying the election equipment in widest use. Their IPs show up tickling our election equipment online. Receipts from their print shops show up on stacks of ballots in our election operations. DNI Ratcliffe belatedly delivered on January 7 his opinion. He sees more of the intelligence than anyone in government, and his conclusion was that the Chinese had meddled in the election. If the strong hypothesis is correct, and this is all the Chinese PSYOP, there is one way you will be able to be able to tell. Authoritarian measures will be imposed on the U.S. population, under the guise of stopping something vague like extremism. President, asterisk Joe Biden, will fill his administration with China doves, and he will reverse an executive order of Trump's to allow the Chinese to resume building components of our critical infrastructure, such as electrical infrastructure, because of the political discourse being constrained by big tech and authoritarian measures. Within 10 years, there will be prison camps in America built next to hospitals for the purpose of organ harvesting from dissidents. By that time, Xi Jinping will have a button on his desk. One day he will hit it, the U.S. electrical grid will shut down, and over the course of one year, 90% of Americans will die off, and the USA will turn into a farm, for which China's 1.6 billion people will be grateful. Those will be your warning signs that the strong hypothesis was correct. So I find it difficult to stop that particular that particular excerpt right there. I wanted to keep playing so we can listen to some more, and I'll include it into the podcast notes, but you need to just be aware that this is the kind of thinking, this idea that's kind of being glommed over here on MSN, on your internet, on your, you know, your Comcast, on your devices, whatever AT&T and, um, and uh, T-Mobile will allow you to see it's not being blocked by Twitter and by Facebook. I mean, the, the people are out there in reality who are not being brainwashed by our technotronic control system and our internet prison for your mind, you know, is what we're, we're dealing with, are really questioning the legitimacy of the Biden administration. I mean, is the Biden administration really a real presidency? I mean, obviously, he kind of technically went through the process and checked the marks and, and checked each box. And, you know, but at the same time, if you look at the, the stratification of the information that's coming and surrounding the events of the election, it becomes apparent that it's not everything is not on the up and up. And really, what the the guy was talking about there in in this this particular book by um, Patrick Byrne, this is kind of a, a personal account of the last eight days of the Trump administration. He really goes into some detail discussing a grand conspiracy involving the Association of Surgeons and Physicians and the World Health Organization and the CDC and the whole idea of the integrity uh, and the intellectual consistency of the whole medical industry itself is kind of being called into question. I mean, the, the process of denormalization of the flu. I mean, I have people taking flu shots this year that they usually hand out for free at Walgreens. I mean, no one is uh, addressing the fact that we're being spun and we're, and this is really an insult to our intelligence. The whole COVID-19, the whole process of bringing the country down is really a carefully crafted and carefully orchestrated conspiracy to control our minds. And people are, they, they, they of course, to try to wrestle with such a philosophical adversary is difficult because you can't convince Rachel Maddow and you can't 
can't convince Microsoft and you can't convince Twitter that they're wrong. And so you're really just pissing in the wind to argue with it. But you really have to, we need to take sides at this point. We need to, before your own ability to fight for your future, you have to find those people around you that that are being pushed out of the, the internet, pushed out of the, the cyber public square, the, the spheres of, of social uh, arenas that people normally operate in. And as people are, are being demonetized and they're being pushed out and being canceled and censored, we need to be able to band together. And that's really what this comes down to. And ultimately, you're seeing that a lot of these policies of the new world order here, of the United Nations, of the uh, you know the, these kind of weird medical regulations that came down from on high, they were really there to manipulate public opinion. So these really increased deaths. So that's why you saw Cuomo stuff all these weird sick people. Uh, they were try- they were trying to segment uh, away from from everyone else, and they put them into elderly retirement homes and, and killed tens and thousands and, and th- tens of thousands of, of elderly retired people who otherwise would have been perfectly safe away from the virus. And there's the absurdity of the masks that it, it's really it doesn't really it just makes people feel good. This this total clown Fauci, and then now he's telling people to wear two of them. And and over the course of time, there's this graduation. Of of policies that really slowed the infection. So we didn't ar- arrive at her- herd immunity. That's what happened with Sweden. They they just allowed people to to get herd immunity. They allowed people to, to you know to become exposed to the virus. People's natural immunity um, resisted the virus like it does every single flu season. And they arrived at her- herd immunity and they didn't push back ivermectin and and uh, hydrochloroquine and these other basic cheap um, remedies for the virus. They allowed the population in Sweden to have them. And that's why Sweden today has total herd immunity and they have zero deaths. And that's why in, in Germany and other places, they slow walked the virus. They suppressed it so they couldn't reach, achieve herd immunity. People's immune systems on, in a whole, uh, you know, and mass could not respond. And so each person is now individually facing the prospect of, you know, slowly getting this virus over the course of time because there was no herd immunity. So over the next few years, these little communities here and there in Europe and in the world who have not been exposed to this virus will have to deal with the fact that they will be. And, and apparently th- these new weird vaccines that they're creating, this gene therapy that they've created that has these identification systems, you know, within the virus are apparently not going to allow you to be safe from the virus. So you're ultimately going to still be exposed and probably get sick from from the regular flu and from, you know, the COVID-19 is just a mystery of what it really is. I mean, is it just something that they've created in order to create a crisis and to have all these, these uh, authoritarian measures? And ultimately, as we're seeing over the course of time, they're going to have to admit in the news media that there was a CCP cover-up. The Chinese Communist Party did have this thing released from a, a lab. It's not something that they're going to be able to hide anymore. It's a, it, it, they were able to suppress the information during this process of having a rigged election and having Joe Biden elected as the president. But over the course of time, this information is gradually going to come out. And I think it's to the Chinese Communist Party's benefit for them to expose the, the corruption to the American people so that the American people begin to tear it begins to tear itself apart as they fight this out. And before the election in November, people there was an expectation that there should be a huge election fraud. That's why Trump and others were calling for everyone to get out and vote and have a huge groundswell, which there was. I mean, he had a, he had you know 75, 76 million people that voted for him. It was, a, it was the largest number of legitimate votes in history, and uh, we were all out there voting because we expected to have to overcome this 
fraud that, that was surely going to come from the Biden administration, from ultimately the CCP. And ultimately, they had to stop counting and they had to re- reset their machines and they had to redouble their efforts in order to overcome millions and millions and millions of legitimate votes from the American people and the Dominion voting systems and all that. It, it, it's been called into question. So let's all go to court. Let's all go take a look at the uh, the forensic information of these machines. Let's go take a look at what really happened in November and let's just just find out and just double check just for the hell of it to just make sure that uh, President Asteris Biden is really the president or he isn't. So that's really what this episode is really about. And the process of this whole idea of the COVID-19 thing, it's really falling apart now in 2021. Uh, where we live, we don't wear any masks. And wherever we go across the state of Florida, we're not wearing them. And if people tell us to leave, we'll probably politely leave. But we're making a show. We're showing people that they should stop wearing these ridiculous masks. And it's, it's absurd. And I'm really disappointed in the American people for being so ignorant. And we just we have to laugh to ourselves that these people are walking around. They're stifling their own ability to breathe. They're breathing their own expectorate, their own exhaust fumes in their, their you know in their own gnarly breath. You're just breathing it all day as you ride around in your cars. And I just I watch people that have they have to normalize. They have to have this process of normalization. They have to do what everyone else is doing. Everyone else walks around with a, a trash bag wrapped around their their, uh, their left arm, then everyone else has to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bizarre human behavior. We have to be able to stand up for ourselves and do the right thing. And um, sometimes people need to be made uncomfortable. I, I love how people look at so dimly with the weird, angry, uh, you know, look on their face, because how dare I walk around with no mask on and endanger everyone else. And that, that's the kind of invective and the kind of uh, strange brainwash that's being propagandized through the systems here. That's the only the only idea that you're allowed to think on Twitter. It's the only thing Google, you know, will, you know, you'll be demonetized if you express any kind of other opinion. And so there's this full-on process of censorship that's coming down through the technocracy here and we have to resist that and just stand up for our, our freedoms here. So we do have some more things we need to look at here. And I think it's interesting that uh, Mike Lindell is the perfect candidate to be really so uh, excoriated by the media and to be treated as a whipping boy. But his information, and, and I love my pillow. got me some MyPillow right here, going to buy me 10 more MyPillows. You know, I just, I love the whole idea of the, that he is uh, resisting the whole narrative and that he is really just saying, damn, the torpedoes at this point. And when you look at the information that he has and the, the people that he's bringing on there, it looks like that underneath the surface there is a lot of content, a lot of really important information, a lot of strong uh, uh, t- evidence that really points out the fact that they were watching, they were using some of these election integrity commissions that they had created under Trump, and they were really watching this election very carefully, and all the information and all the receipts, if you will, all the data was gathered and collected. And even though we have a corrupt court, and we have a corrupt Congress, and we have a corrupt government that's being controlled by the 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 Chinese communists on the, the other level. The fact is, is that the actual data of the reality of the truth is there. And ultimately we can really get to that. So let's take a listen here to some of the people that have this, the, the goods have the, the data and the receipts and have all this information that shows evidence of massive election fraud. 100% proof that the big thing was the theft by these other countries that came in to attack our country through these machines that are made to steal elections. Every election going forward in history, if these things would have happened, these two, and we wouldn't have, we would have never known 
Every single vote you would have ever made wouldn't have mattered. Somebody else would have made that vote. And we've all seen in this past month, you think it wasn't communists coming in and taking this over? With people here, this is an attack not only on other those other countries with communism, but they had domestic traitors right here in our country. Whatever's going on right now, we're seeing it. They're suppressing cancel culture. They're trying to cancel us all out. I just seen churches, the Christian churches, they're being attacked right now people on social media anyone that speaks up they're going you can't say that you're gone it's like they're right now they're doing whack-a-mole because they know they knew they were so close so close that we would never know in history what happened but guess what now we do know and you're all gonna know and when you watch this and you get through it at the end i'm going to tell you what you can all do and we're going to start our show right now and you guys are going to be absolutely amazed and now we have with us Colonel Phil Waldron. Yeah, so my, my background in the military is with uh, influence operations, information uh, operations, uh, information warfare, uh, if you will. You know, what we're talking about here today is specific, uh, these machines that were used to uh, to hack into our election and and uh, by foreign countries, including China. And uh, what, what did you kind of bring us up through the election for yourself and, what, and then how you've gotten so, so involved right now? Yeah, we, we began looking, uh, working with our partners in, in uh, Dallas at uh, Allied Security Operations Group uh, with doing some analysis on the data that they had, uh, looking at not only Dominion, but ESNS and HART, several of the other electronic um, uh, voting management systems. And we saw a lot of similarities and, and vulnerabilities in the systems that would be easily uh, influenceable or easily interdicted. And again, as a as an information warfare officer, that's what I did. I looked for vulnerabilities and ways to attack systems to create a strategic advantage for U.S. friendly forces. And so when we started seeing the vulnerabilities and all the different ways that you could interdict this uh, these electronic voting systems, it became apparent that uh, we had a problem for the, the November 3rd election. Uh, and that prompted us to uh, spend a lot of time working with Russ uh, Ramsland, getting a lot of the, the historical data, the knowledge. Uh, we started working on our own, really doing a lot of uh, connecting the money uh, exercises, doing, doing basic um, investigative research. And then I brought in our, uh, our local DHS team, um, here in Texas, both the uh, Intelligence and Assessments Division, uh, which collects collects intelligence for, for the Department of Homeland Security, and the CISA, uh, our local CISA rep. And we spent quite a bit of time giving them uh, an introduction to what, what we saw and the vulnerabilities and the ways that these systems could be uh, interdicted to change election outcomes at you know the, the machine level, the server level, Brought at the local level, which you know is required to induce the the uh, illegitimate ballots. Right. Uh, then you've got a, the machine level, which is kind of what you were talking about the right. the, the algorithms that are directly uh, input into the tabulators, uh, and we have evidence of that in uh, in Ware County, Georgia, that uh, you know X amount of ballots went through, and they they basically stole 13 percent of the vote from. Uh, President Trump and put that 13% of the vote into the category for former Vice President Biden, which made a 26% shift in the vote. And so when you look at the machine level, the machine uh, for Dominion or ESNS, 
there are so many vulnerabilities in the systems. There are so many fundamental cybersecurity practices that are not enabled that it basically allows anybody who, who has some technical ability and the, the want to to go and influence uh, our elections. Wow. And sort of that strategic level is foreign intelligence, foreign intelligence services. And we've got a pretty much documented documented of Chinese, Communist Chinese Party ownership of the private equity firm whose board controls Dominion. Um, we've got Chinese Communist, um, the, the president of the Chinese Communist Bank, who is a board, board of directors member of, of the private equity firm that, uh, that owns Dominion. Wow. And then if you, the testing company, the, the only company that has code, the access to the code and the testing for Dominion is in Shenzhen, China. It's a communist Chinese party company. The U.S. government, the state governments, the county governments, they don't have access to Dominion code. But I think it's kind of kind of unique that a Chinese company that's run by the, the, the CCP does have access to the code. And that's why we started seeing at that strategic level, that third tier of election manipulation, a lot of movements of votes, uh, directly direct uh, access to Pennsylvania voting precincts, county tabulation centers, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, all of that coming in directly uh, from foreign countries, China being the predominant one and uh, through through Pakistani ISI proxies. Did you find it very frustrating not being able to get get all this information out to the public? Yeah, it, 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 it's very frustrating. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, everyone says, well, there was all these court cases and uh, all the court cases were lost. Well, that's a lie. We've got statistics on how many court cases were open, how many were dismissed for, uh, you know, for standing or procedural, but there, there's only, to my knowledge, two cases, one in Michigan and, and one in Georgia, where evidence has been heard. And those cases are progressing uh, forward. Uh, the Senate in Arizona has heard and seen uh, preliminary evidence, and they've issued a subpoena, and they're per pressing forward uh, with a full forensic audit uh, in Arizona. And that, that could be forthcoming as early as, uh, you know, this, this coming week. So it's it's it is complex and it's hard for people to understand. And if it's hard to understand, people just dismiss it as uh, you know conspiracy theory, where it's it's cyber warfare, unconventional asymmetric warfare conducted by a peer threat nation state against the United States government critical infrastructure. Team, when they you know when they shut everything down at night, that that was a deviation. You probably expected this, right? We were watching. We found the the, the foreign servers in Barcelona and the UK and in, and in Frankfurt. Um, we'd seen several. You know, the one in Toronto, obviously with Dominion. So you know, a hundred percent proof that the servers are overseas in other people's countries for our election. Yes, we were mapping out the servers before the elections. Uh, we identified the CIDL uh, server in Frankfurt uh, down to the street address. Frankfurt has, I think it's it's either the largest or one of the world's largest um, um, server nodes, you know, a, a cyber node, a, right. a communications node. It's called uh, DE, DE for Germany, NIX, DE NIX. Right. And there were several folks watching the, the traffic and the volume of traffic that night and they noticed a significant spike in traffic 
that night just due to you know the volume of information going through and one of the reasons that they they said that the, the traffic was going up was due to the u.s elections your opinion this is an attack by other countries of foreign of foreign countries is what you're saying then I, I believe from what I've seen in uh, the, the, the witnesses that I've talked to that this is a, a coup that uh, definitely involved elements inside our own country and inside our own federal government. Um, definitely, uh, definitely part of a coup that was aided and abetted by a foreign threat nation state, a peer enemy nation state, right. China. Yeah, I, I believe that. Um, again, we have uh, affidavits of CIA and State Department personnel out of the Italian embassy uh, participating in uh, this coup. Um, we have uh, a name, email, and phone number of a senior DOJ official uh, from a um, from a, a U.S. attorney that said that this individual was shutting down any DOJ or FBI investigation into any election. Um, any election-related investigation and shutting, trying to shut down uh, judicial cases, court cases. So, from own, inside our own DOJ, uh, people were shutting down active investigations. You wonder why, you know, uh, Mr. Barr didn't find or see any evidence of uh, widespread election fraud. Is because the FBI never did anything other than to impede investigations into election fraud. Uh, the FBI went to question the truck drivers who delivered ballots and, and created affidavits. They were harassing, you know, the, the Americans, you know, the patriotic Americans who were who were whistleblowers right. and prosecuting them. Like you mentioned something earlier is is the machines, the ES and S and Dominion machines. If you look at, uh, you know, military planning factors, they're critical capabilities. A capability is what you have to have to execute your mission or the enemy has to have to execute its mission successfully. So a critical capability for any of this to happen are the inherent vulnerabilities that were built into ESNS and Dominion software, which is, you know, again, uh, we've proven through, through our work that this is all related directly back to the soft, uh, Smartmatic. Uh, Smartmatic, SGO Smartmatic software uh, core, and they definitely have financial gains to to financial reasons uh, based on some of the other investments that they've made. Right. Uh, especially they, uh, you know, looking down the road, if uh, they make billions and billions of dollars, the board of uh, SGO Smartmatic, uh, because they own a an air purification company. Uh, so just think about it. If if you get to pick an administration that is favorable to, to your company, say if they pass the Green New Deal, and you're gonna make billions and billions of dollars off of government-mandated um, air purification systems and public buildings and apartment buildings and industrial complexes, you know, you, you would spend quite a bit of money on the front side to, yeah. to make sure the election was gone. The same thing with China. If China could avoid the U.S. coming to Taiwan's defense, and we've seen indications of that already, and if China could avoid uh, having to fight a, a campaign to protect their man-made islands, to extend their territorial waters into uh, international navigable waterways, if they could in invest a billion dollars to do that versus fighting a war, well, they've made a pretty good investment. And right. all the money that they've uh, made into the Biden family, um, all the money that they've made and uh, invested into U.S. universities and U.S. businesses, buying up... Uh, our medical, our technical, intellectual property, 
um, stealing a lot more than they bought. Um, they are they are fighting a war, and people just don't realize that we're under attack. So that's just a small excerpt from this particular work, absolute proof. And I think it's interesting that the, all the information is there. It's just we have a public who's too inundated and imbibed with this technocracy, with the Silicon Valley apps that uh, produce serotonin releases in our brains and cause us to constantly you know, scroll and scroll and scroll for, for more and more updates and posts and tweets. And it just we're really just being completely steered towards you know a process of being re-tagged. And uh, ultimately, you know, we're being tagged with our these kind of vaccines. We're being tagged with as far as documentation for if you have it or if you don't. And we're, we're being tagged on when our social media. We're being tagged on the internet. We're being tagged digitally in every possible way. And so all of our behaviors can be kind of tracked and, you know, where you're going to go to work this coming week, Monday morning, where you're most likely to stop to get a coffee, you know, what roads you'll pass and what intersections to go through and, you know, how you'll spend your day and what you'll, you know, spend your time doing. I mean, your entire life is really mapped out by these new algorithms and AI. And you have to recognize that China has been playing slowly at corrupting our entire uh, population. That's what you heard in that last excerpt, in that last clip was just this process of slow corruption. So that people can't, uh, they can't resist and the very wealthy elite, the very rich, they can't, you know, find a way to resist either because it would be akin to turning against their own fortunes. And, 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 and as far as what happens next year or what happens in 10 years, or what happens in 50 years, what happens to their, their children and their grandchildren, I guess they just don't care as long as they have the, the, the nice reassurance of their fat bank accounts and, and all the, the, the pomp and circumstance of their wealth and the little the maid service that cleans up after them or whatever, whatever it is, you know, just, you know, people are, are, are so terrified of coming down and being demonetized or being brought down. Can you imagine Parler, an up-and-coming you know, American success story, just being destroyed by by Google and by uh, by uh, it was Amazon and, and really and by Apple and who can really keep up with all all these you know masters of the universe? They control technocracy, they control the internet, they control advertising, they control the future of your business to such an extent that I mean they're going through this process of weeding through the U.S. military and. And they're, they're going to weed through the social media, Facebook accounts, and just constantly work to to stand against anyone who doesn't toe their totalitarian line. So we just have one more clip to play in this episode. In a normal year, when there is this huge political contention over who is going to win and dealing with ballot harvesting or voter fraud or the you know, different elements of conjecture over you know where and which counties people might have voted too many times. And in this case, it's multiple levels. It's a manifold system of voter fraud that had have been to use cyber warfare tactics, also ballot stuffing, fraudulent voter harvesting techniques. It had to do with uh, voting machine irregularities at the ballot level where people just mass counted multiple ballots over and over again. And so there was this entire system that had been planned for quite a long time that was situated so that people would have this surprise. And so you can see that Biden never really did any campaigning. He just sat in his basement and um, the entire American populace was charged up and ready to vote for Donald Trump. But then there was a huge surprise, which is that the, the tabulation and the whole system of counting votes at, with a, a process of integrity and honesty and transparency was to, to be undermined and 
the whole process of selecting a certain candidate was to be reversed and Joe Biden would be made an illegitimate president. And of course, the Congress and the Senate didn't have the, 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 I mean, Josh Hawley and the whole process of bringing out this voter fraud. It didn't ultimately have the political power to stand against the New York Times, Twitter, George Soros, Chinese CCP coalition to silence. Um, and, and ultimately, Mike Pence would, would, would collapse. And the whole process of turning back these fraudulent electors was to come to nothing. So let's listen to some more of this. This whole idea of voter fraud is really going to become more uh, more heightened as we kind of go forward because people are not going to accept and I think that a large part of the majority the 75 76 million people that voted for Donald Trump and had their voices completely canceled out are not going to easily forget and despite whatever Twitter and the New York Times and whatever Hollywood elites and whatever the NBA superstars whatever everyone does to turn a kowtow to China and to participate in this grand leftist agenda which is just this neo-marxism this process of bringing down the the white racist uh, patriarchy of of the Western civilization, and it's this process of collapsing, just like Gordon Chang said, this process of collapsing the idea of the Treaty of Westphalia, the idea that equal nations uh, or nations have an equal status and should have some kind of representation and diplomacy with each other and create treaties, and this whole idea of of European um, nationalism that was the process of creating American independence in the first place should just be collapsed. Western civilizations should be collapsed. It's just white racist male patriarchy and, and all, all this. This is just the mouthing of the philosophy of the CCP, this corrosive self-destructive idea virus, this ideological corruption that causes the college campus kids to, to dye their hair green and to, to study uh, courses that will just produce poverty and just produce this kind of political saturation of neo-Marxist leftism throughout the, the culture. And it's going into our classrooms as these these teachers unions bring in this this idea of white privilege and um, and this whole this whole polit- politics of racial division be- begins to really sink its teeth in to the body politic in America and we have to overcome that. Uh, they want to refight the civil war over again. They want to re uh, re prosecute the whole idea of, of this destruction of slavery that America basically exacted when we brought an end to the transatlantic slavery. So without going on uh, at, at hominem here. We we have this interesting it's a censored 2020 election investigation documentary so if it's censored we really need to take a listen to it so we're just going to listen to a part of it and listen to the the, the frustration and the aspiration of the American people and many people throughout the throughout politics and throughout journalism and just throughout the entire country are, are really astonished at this kind of CCP level manipulation of our federal presidential election in 2020 let's take a listen just rescanning, 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 counting ballots nine to ten times. These workers were rescanning these batches of ballots numerous times. I mean, sometimes I saw between eight and ten times for them to be rescanned. That's just one person, you know, um, that happened in a 24-hour shift thousands of times. The whole time I was there in a 24-hour shift. There was not a single time that I saw one ballot 
for Trump. Not a single time. The TCF Center became the focal point in Detroit, Michigan, as more and more witnesses emerged. This is where I witnessed they were counting ballots that were not registered, they weren't in the poll log, the QVF, and they couldn't verify them. The ballots that came in could not be matched with the electronic qualified voter file, and the ballots could not be matched with the paper file, yet they still counted those ballots. Boom. That's illegal. That's wrong. You can't do that. Also, my affidavit, I, I said how I wanted to challenge all these other ballots, and I was prohibited from doing so. So if you question anything, they would intentionally circle you and intimidate you. At one point, uh, I was trying to challenge one of the names on there, and um, the woman actually turned around and physically pushed me away. The atmosphere in the room was really hostile. There were multiple times where when I was at my table, I got just hollered at for, like, stepping closer to try to look. So there was boxes and um, almost like suitcases back there, too. Uh, a big pile of them with saran wrap all over them. We inquired about those and someone, the young guy who was standing there, he goes, if you don't walk away from these suitcases or from the, the, this back door... I will arrest you. I was not feeling comfortable. No idea what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. A little baby. I'm pregnant. want to keep myself safe. And so it was around this time that I started thinking about I need to leave. I, I estimate right there fraudulent votes that they counted. I saw with my own eyes 8,000 to 16,000 fraudulent votes. I do believe that fraud was very evident at the TCF Center in Detroit. There were so many inconsistencies, so much in intimidation, and I can't figure out what you would be doing unless you were hiding something. It, it just didn't add up. We have stuck our necks out, have been intimidated, threatened. Thousands of people from across the Commonwealth have reached out to us, tens of thousands. People are not feeling good nor confident about the process and the results because of that process. These are not normal activities. And this is no game, and the very republic very much is at stake. And anyone who loves this country has to put aside their petty partisan politics and allow the light to shine where it is. I'm here for one thing only, and that is to speak the truth. The date the ballot was issued, the date... A few days after the election... Data analyst Matt Brainerd set up a team to look for data anomalies across six disputed states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Nevada. His team initially determined that at least 1.25 million votes had data irregularities. They then investigated the abnormalities by phone calls and data cross-referencing. Well, the law in Georgia is when you register to vote, you have to mark down what your actual residence is. You can have a separate mailing address, which is fine, that they will record, but you have to put down what your actual residence is. But uh, what we found was a large number of people, substantial, especially given how tight the margin is, well over a 1,000, who voted in this election, listed themselves at addresses that are, in fact, postal facilities, folks, facilities the Postal Service either lease or own. So that could include a post office, uh, the UPS store, uh, FedEx store, anything like that. And not only did they list themselves there, but they disguised a P.O. box 
as an apartment. So rather than saying PO Box 123, the address is listed as Apartment 123. And that's a major red flag. And what's also remarkable about these individuals is that almost all of them voted early absentee. Very few voted in person. Um, so that really raises a red flag because they're illegally registered and it's, and not just incidentally, but intentionally meant to deceive. We found over a thousand of them in Georgia, in fact, uh, over 1,400 so far in Pennsylvania as well, with the very same tactic. There was uh, a number of people in all six states where we were doing our tests who the state marked as having requested an absentee ballot, but they didn't return it. So we reached out to these people and asked two questions. The first question we asked is, did you actually request that ballot? And in many cases, they said no, which is a big red flag, because somebody had to request that ballot. And by law, it had to be them or somebody that they designated legally to do so. We show that in the state of Pennsylvania is marked as having received an absentee ballot request from you, but did not receive your absentee ballot. Did you request an absentee ballot? No. You can see very clearly. We've we'll got a street view here. U.S. Postal Service, open shut, fraud. And they have an apartment number. Yeah, so that's actually P.O. Box 244, but as you can plainly see, um, you know, I'd be happy to share. I can actually we ran six different analyses, in fact, uh, seven now in Pennsylvania, and all of them showed problems. We ran analysis where we called people who had moved, yet they were told that they had a ballot cast in their name. We called them and asked, did you vote? Did you actually cast that ballot? And we found people that said, no, they didn't. We dialed into precincts that had exceptionally high turnout and spoke to people who had voted in this election but didn't have a record of voting uh, much at all, if ever at all, before, and found people in that uh, universe that said, no, I did not cast a ballot. Somebody else cast that ballot in my name. What's your process in terms of making sure the data stands? So you have to start with the authoritative data, which is what the state provides. And leading up to the election, the state releases a list every day of people who voted earlier absentee or requested an absentee ballot or sent in an absentee ballot request or requested a request for an absentee ballot. So usually that's all documented by the state. So we took those as basically the close after the election to have the entire records of everybody who requested uh, absentee ballots who voted early. We appended it with phone numbers. We also bounced it up against the National Exchange of Address database, which is maintained by the Postal Service. It's a fairly reliable match because you're not just matching on name, but also on you know, full name and address. And we also matched it up against the Social Security Death Index and the Master Death File to see if anybody uh, matches up against it because that's one of the often, uh, often accused methods of, you know, alleged voter fraud. Brainerd's team discovered that Georgia had 138,221 people who had already left Georgia but still voted through mail-in ballots. This was concerning because Biden's lead in Georgia was currently sitting at only 12,670 votes ahead of Trump. Wisconsin, he found 26,673 people who left the state but still voted in Wisconsin via mail-in ballots. And Biden was leading by only 20,608 votes. And in Arizona, he found 19,997 people who had moved out of the state, but had still voted with mail-in ballots. And Biden's lead in Arizona is only 10,457. 
Brainerd believes the data his team uncovered is enough to flip the election results in all three states, which have a total of 37 electoral votes. I'm signing witness reports as an expert, and if needed, I'm, I'm going to be testifying in court if it gets to that point. So this isn't speculative. This is this is just what the data shows. Let us know what you want us to hear. A surveillance video from the State Farm Arena Voting Center in Georgia was released to the public. I am a lawyer, but I'm not acting as a lawyer in this case. I'm just helping out the legal team here. Um, and going to explain to you the evidence that we have from State Farm Arena here in Fulton County, um, which goes to what Ray was talking about in terms of fraud or misrepresentation. It showed that on the night of November 3rd, the voting center announced it was stopping ballot counting and asked all Republican poll watchers and journalists to leave, but four people remained. Okay, there, there they walk. They're walking off. After everyone else had left, those four people pulled out ballot containers that had been hidden from sight during the entire day. And without any poll watchers or public observers, they processed and counted ballots until 1 a.m. The reason we know this is because when our Republican observers were forced to leave, they went to the Central Tabulation Center. And they got news from a or word from a news crew that in fact counting had continued. They have information that not everybody left according to plan, and some people stayed behind. Based so, on the length of time of this operation, the number of ballots processed illegally would have exceeded Biden's reported lead in the state. This illegal act of fraud must have been planned and organized in advance. Who instigated and directed this illegal activity? during the 2020 election. You may recall the old quote that attributed to Stalin that says, I don't care who votes, I care about who counts the votes. That's what matters. Election challenger and former Michigan State Republican Senator Patrick Colbeck was monitoring the vote counting process at Detroit's TPS Center. First of all, I am a former Michigan State Senator. I served on the Senate, Michigan Senate Elections and Government Reform Committee. I took those duties very seriously to the point of diagramming out all of our election processes, so I had a pretty good understanding of how elections are supposed to work from a book perspective. I actually, my role was that of a poll challenger, and I served in the Detroit AD County Board as a poll challenger certified by an organization that I helped form called the Election Integrity Fund. There are Wi-Fi routers all over the place, including one called AB underscore connect. So that kind of tells me that absentee voter underscore connect. So there's suspicion there. When you go over to the tabulators, I went to all the different tabulator workstations, went underneath the tables and checked out where all these cables were routed. All the tabulator computers were connected uh, via Ethernet cables to a network router, and that router in turn was connected to another router, was connected to the adjudicators. Those were connected to another router, um, slash firewall probably, it was a little bit different spec on it than the normal one, which was connected to the internet, which was connected to the local data center. And so um, it's, and anybody who understands IT understands that if one computer is connected uh, on a network to the internet, all the computers on that network are connected to the internet. A voting machine connected to the internet is especially vulnerable to hackers.
I go to all the trouble to put this information and make it available to you and get these different perspectives out on this podcast so that you can see that the whole question of President Asterisk Biden and his legitimacy and the question of how rampant and how complex the, the system of voter fraud and cyber warfare and ballot manipulation and falsely counting ballots through all these specific swing states and, and how how intense the operations were, the billions, I don't know, was 100, 200, 300 billion dollars that Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook spent to to really grease all these, uh, the, the palms of all these people in order to make sure that these different areas in Georgia, and there was, and there was a whole uh, coterie, a whole phalanx of these leftist individuals who were working in this combination, and you can see that the, the activists had their Trump hats on backwards when they went to the Capitol Hill, so that the coming insurrection came and went, and they had their, their plan where they would really do a false flag operation, and this was really what leaves people to wonder, maybe Trump wasn't uh, smart enough to know that they would use this rally in such a really insidious and, and subtle way and, and to, to, to enact this kind of subterfuge on him where they would blame the Republican Trump supporters for this act of what they call insurrection and you can see that the anti-foot people had their, like I said, Trump hats on backwards they're acting crazy, they want to attack the police and they, they acted out from within the Trump crowd in order to perpetuate this idea that the Nancy Pelosi and the politicians would seize upon. They would use this to breathe life into this idea that there is this conspiracy of white national these white Nazis, white people are bad, white males, pale faces, they don't have any melanin, they don't have any soul, they don't have any you know complexion in their skin, their their skin is white and pallid and, and whitey. Kill whitey. That's really what the, the whole program is here. I think we're looking at this kind of this antagonism, this excoriation, so as to make these American patriots who were hoping to have a restoration of their constitution and to bring American monetary policy and economic policy back into into line and get back into a gold standard, get rid of the Federal Reserve System, protect our rights to bear arms. These are all policies that the Chinese Communist Party, I think, are, are against. And so Joe Biden is against them also. And it becomes a question of will Joe Biden begin to enact like a an agent, like a a, a, mon- a monstrous reptile. A uh, I guess reptiles have a spine, so he'd have to say invertebrate. Joe Biden, asterisk President Biden, will he begin to destroy the population of free thinking, intellectual class, uh, middle class, wealth, and patriots in this country by enacting policies that are pro-China and anti-American, just as as Xi Jinping would want Joe Biden to do. So as a good slave, as a good servant, as a good step and fetch it for the Chinese party, Joe Biden now, uh, in order to make sure none of the videos come to light or you know none of the pedophile elite information is exposed and embarrassing to the Hollywood and New York City and LA elite, and the, the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates to continue to peddle their weird uh, microbe soft policies for vaccinating the entire population. I don't want a vaccine. Too bad. You can you have to have a vaccine anyway. And a vaccine that interacts with satellites and has, has microtechnology and has the ability to tag people and to, to have it in a specific DNA sequencing that is numerical and therefore can be used as biological ID. So this is this is a vaccine that has biometric data characteristics that can allow people to be ultimately um, 
um, tagged and monitored through the new 5G networks that are coming out. And this is all stuff now that we can all put our conspiracy theory hats on, but you run out and get your vaccine. You let them stab you with that junk, whatever that is, and um, go ahead. You first, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to make sure my family opts out. My kids are grown enough now that we kind of escaped. I feel bad for people with young kids who are going to have to have these documentations just to go to their school, like polio. And then, I mean, these things are totally untrustworthy. I'm sure that Trump, you know, meant it for the good to have this operation fast and furious, but it's kind of an ominous name. And I, and I just don't trust it. I mean, he, was he in the lab over, or, you know, overwatching these different pharmaceutical companies as they bring out these vaccines? I'm not one to just glom on and say, this, this is miraculous. And this is just a wonderful thing. And everyone should take this. I really, based on what I've seen in history um, of the 18th and 19th and 20th century, I just would say, you know, I'm going to just take my chances with the hydrochloroquine and the ivermectin and just blow my nose and, uh, and just, the normal things we've been doing for the last five centuries when flu season comes around. Back to this kind of military fusion of politics and and business and government and all different levels of uh, globalization, we can see that the Chinese military policy is to be acting on all levels and all companies so that all corporate programs and all computer businesses and all telecom industries that are, are in China are really part and parcel of their intelligence agencies and their military programs program as a unified effort of the Chinese Communist Party to really control and manipulate the West. So here in the West, we have companies who have a separate prerogative from the government, and we have a, a federal and local and state governments who have separate prerogatives. And, and in China, they don't have this. They're a unified system, and they have only one agenda, which is to bring down, curtail, weaken, and ultimately destroy the political power and the economic power of the United States in order to seize their land. And in order to really get back to this topic, we'll kind of end where we started. And we're back here with Gordon Chang again. And this this, this is a, a recent, just a few days ago, an update of the discussion that we were having uh, at the beginning of this episode. So let's listen to Gordon Chang on American Thought Leaders. So we've had about a month now to start seeing how uh, the Biden administration's China policy has started to form. And I've kind of zeroed in on a couple of things. On one hand, um, I'm seeing that there's this call to really look at the supply chains and how they're connected to China. I'm not even sure how possible it is to figure that out. That's something I want to ask you about. On the other side, we also see this situation where there is I guess an allowance for actually doing business with the Chinese military, which I find very disturbing. But anyway, so we're kind of seeing uh, two directions, multiple directions. I don't know. What what do you think is happening here? I wish I knew. Um, First of all, the Biden administration, like every new administration, is trying to figure out its China policy. And there is a formal review. And it probably will take until March or April for them to actually start to think in, in real concrete terms about what they want to do. But in the interim, we've seen a number of things which are really disturbing. So, for instance, in Biden's executive orders, he's taken down protections that the Trump administration put in place. Um, Most notably, there was um, Trump's May 1, 2020 executive order, which prohibited grid operators in the U.S. from buying equipment from China. Um, And that prevented China from selling sabotaged equipment. Well, in January 20, one of the first 
things that Biden did just hours after taking the oath of office, he repealed that uh, protection. Um, and and the, the idea was that he wanted to do this review of China policy. Well, okay, I can understand he wants to review Trump policy, but at least leave the protection in place because this review will take months. Uh, and so we can go through the list of things that Biden has done, um, I believe, um, really without justification. Because I can't see any reason why he would allow the Chinese to sabotage the American grid, especially when we saw what happened in Texas right now, what happens when a grid is not resilient. And a grid is certainly going to become less resilient if it's going to have sabotage transformers in it. Well, and what about this uh, uh, executive order, I think, that, I guess it expired. I, I don't know exactly how it worked out uh, with them, but basically... There is no truly independent companies in China, and certainly the Chinese military is not in any way independent. And of course, they can they can always basically just take whatever technology they feel is useful to them. We we know that. I think we've talked about this before. So so, how does this work, right? What you're referring to is um, the Treasury of uh, the Treasury's Department of Office of Foreign Asset Control um, on January 26th. I think it was, uh, deferred the application of President Trump's executive order 13959, if I got the number right. Um, 13959, very, very technical. But what it did, and this was issued in November of last year, was it prevented Americans from investing in military-linked companies. In other words, companies in China that had a very close tie with the Chinese military. And what Biden has effectively done is is he's deferred the application of a portion of 13959 um, from uh, January 28th, when it was supposed to go, when that part of the executive order was supposed to go into effect, and he deferred it into May 27th. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but what happened is Wall Street was very much against Trump's original executive order, because they want to continue to invest in every Chinese company, no matter what it does. And so they now have additional months in which to work to make sure, from their perspective, that they can continue to do that, which another means is repealing all of Trump's 13959. Um, this is wrong. Um, the point is, um, there are companies in China that have clear links to the Chinese military. But, as Trump pointed out in his November executive order, China has this doctrine of military civil fusion, which means that every Chinese company can be raided for its technology if the People's Liberation Army wants it. So that means every Chinese company is military linked in one way or another. So that's really just a continuation of the thought from months ago when we were dealing with the whole election issue was actually allowed to hit the front pages of the social media and, and, and the printed media. And, and today, it's just, it just no think. You're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to speak about it, you're not allowed to discuss it. You know, I think that Mark Levin was harassed into keeping quiet about questions about, you know, I don't know if they, uh, they're going to cite national security or what their arguments are going to be. But ultimately, if China went in and helped the neo-Marxist leftists and and 
cyber Jacobins in this country, like Zucker and Facebook and, and Twitter and, and Google, if, if all these fifth column activists in this country worked with China to overwhelm the system and destroy voter integrity and ultimately to push out a Biden victory in this fraudulent system of, of irregularities and ballot manipulation and cyber warfare and asymmetric computer that apparently there was 15 or 16 different cyber hacks from different countries you know, around the world that, that took place all at the same night. So it was kind of like a, it was almost, as they described, a Pearl Harbor, a cyber Pearl Harbor that took place and no one is allowed to discuss it. It's completely silenced. So in this age of, in this era of censorship and Silicon Valley technocratic authoritarian control over what we're allowed to think and this process of disappearing people from the internet, it's, it's really an act of violence and we should stand against it. We should be supporting, we should decouple from all these different corporations that are working with China and that are working to control and muzzle the American people and control our freedom of speech. Continue to be your resource and we're going to continue to speak out against these efforts from the Chinese Communist Party to ultimately manipulate our, our the sovereignty of our nation and destroy the institutions of our democracy. We're not going to allow them to perpetuate this and we need to get ready and even though we're undermined in, in our security about voter elections, we need to be ready for 2022 and 2024 and get prepared to take this nation back. It's time to fight. It's time to fight the good fight and just lay it all on the line because if this nation, this constitution goes down, then we're going to have to go down with it. We're going to have to do whatever it takes to secure independence and freedom and liberty for our children and their children. We have to recognize the existential threat of the communist Chinese party and their regime. Their phalanx within academia, Hollywood, within the culture wars, within these cyber security threats have affected our elections. It's time for real Americans to grow up and get ready to stand up. Silvis Journal, another entry. Come back and get with us as soon as you can. Need your support.